Our heart is not our own. Pieces of it are sewn into the souls of daughters and sons. From pain, we give strength. From fear, protection. In absence, we are present. Teacher. Mother. Friend. The way we live. The way we love. The pieces we leave behind. Hey, so at all of our campuses and those online, can we once again just celebrate our moms today? We love and appreciate you so much. Uh, you, uh, you do so much for us. And I just want to uh, wish my uh, wife a happy Mother's Day. We have four amazing kids at home, and it's mostly due to her. Uh, she does an amazing job raising all five of us. And, uh, and I also just want to say happy Mother's Day to my mom. She's uh, watching from Missouri, so happy Mother's Day to you. And uh, I also just want to acknowledge the fact that I realize like a day like today, while we celebrate it, it can be hard for many of us uh, for a number of different reasons. And so I just want you to, I just want to acknowledge that. I just want you to know we're thinking about you and we're praying for you. And uh, I woke up first thing this morning and just uh, prayed that God would uh, grant uh, you peace and uh, comfort throughout this day. But I'm really glad we could uh, be uh, together today. I know here in Indiana, it's really rainy outside, but not in here. And uh, we're starting a new series of messages uh, today that I've been looking forward to for a while. And I, I really do believe that uh, God is going to speak through this uh, series. And when we look back on it, when it's over, uh, we're going to realize that, I think this is at least true for me, that we needed this series, even though we didn't even know we needed it. And so if you have a Bible uh, or a Bible app, go ahead and find 1 Samuel chapter 15, because that's where we're going to end up today. And I need to uh, set the table, so to speak, for this series, just kind of where we're going as we or before we get into uh, that passage. But uh, we're calling this uh, four-week series of messages Achilles. And uh, if you are familiar with Greek mythology uh, or if you saw uh, Brad Pitt in the movie uh, Troy, then you know that um, Achilles was uh, the most dominant warrior for the Greeks. He was uh, unbeatable, really, and uh, you could hit him anywhere on his body and he could withstand it. But there was one place where he had a weakness. And as legend had it, um, it was when he was a small boy, his mom uh, was dipping him into this water that gave him supernatural ability. But when she did that, she was holding him by his heel. And so his heel didn't make it all the way into the water. Kind of reminds me of the time when I was uh, baptizing this teenage girl that was deathly afraid of water and I didn't know it. And so I'm trying to get her under and she's fighting me. And I didn't get her all the way under and I brought her up and everything was wet except for her bangs. 
They're just sticking straight up in the air. It's really awkward. It's like in that moment, what do you do? Like, do you, do you take her down again? Do you double dip? Like, what do you do? And so I was just like, I told her, I was like, I don't think you're going to need those in heaven. And uh, so just, so it's kind of what happened with Achilles. Like his heel didn't make it under the water. So as he grows older, he's just dominant. But there's this one small piece of real estate on his body that is his weakness. And you strike him there and it would be his ultimate demise. And that's exactly what happened during the Trojan War. There was a warrior by the name of Paris who launches this single arrow and it strikes Achilles on his heel. And it just completely, completely takes him down and it destroys him. Now, um, you're also likely aware of the fact that um, the term Achilles is used to refer to this tendon that runs along the backside of our heel. And an Achilles injury can be incredibly painful and incredibly difficult to rehab from. Now, I've never uh, ruptured my Achilles, but I've known plenty of uh, men my age who have. And I know that it can be just a, a really devastating injury to try to come back from. And especially if you are a professional athlete, this can almost be career ending. Some of you might remember in uh, 2013, Kobe Bryant ruptured his Achilles tendon. It took him out for eight months as he was rehabbing it. Uh, in 2019, Kevin Durant um, ruptured his in game five of the NBA finals against the Toronto Raptors. And many would say of any uh, professional athlete at that level, if they rupture their Achilles tendon, that, that odds aren't good that they're gonna come back and perform at the same level as they did before. And so whether, the, whether it comes to Greek mythology or to the actual Achilles injury, the term Achilles heel is often used as a metaphor to describe maybe a vulnerability or a weakness of some kind in our character. And just like um, the Greek mythology or in the injury, I mean, who would have thought that something so small could bring somebody down? And so when it comes to our character, that's what I want us to think about in this series, I want you to just sort of do an inventory of your character. And you might have any number of strong character traits. And I know that you do. And maybe as you kind of review your character, you would say, I'm, you know, um, I'm pretty good. I'm reliable. I am loyal. Like you've got all these character traits. But here's the thing that we oftentimes fail to focus on is we say, well, where can I be taken down? What's maybe the, the small understated thing that maybe I'm not paying enough attention to? Maybe it's a thing that if I don't get a handle on it, it could bring my uh, marriage down. Uh, it could bring my relationships down. Maybe my, it could ruin my career or my reputation. It might actually even be that thing that um, distances you from God. And the thing is, is that it happens all the time. You ever been um, shocked to hear about um, somebody who maybe made a bad decision? Maybe they got caught. Uh, they had a double life going on. They, they had something that was exposed. It eventually came to the surface. And you're like, you know, what in the world happened? And if you really knew the full story, you would recognize that it was their, it was their Achilles heel. There was this part of their character that was going unchecked for far too long. And and it eventually caught up to them. Now, now, here's the deal, is that it's easy to sort of sit in judgment on other people when that happens, but we're all vulnerable. Every single one of us have an Achilles heel, so to speak, that we need to keep an eye on, we need to keep in check. And at the time, we think, well, it's, it's small. Like, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, but it could take us down. 
And did you know that God's word not only tells us what this Achilles heel is, but it warns us over and over and over again to keep an eye on it. And it manifests itself in different ways in all of our lives, but the root of it is the same. Now, before I tell you what it is, let me just kind of give you a few descriptions of what our Achilles heel does in our lives and just see if you know what we're talking about. All right, it is the thing that will keep you from celebrating the success of others. It's the thing that will keep you from admitting that you struggle and uh, you're not ever gonna let people see the real you. It's the thing that keeps you from asking questions because uh, you think you already know. It'll keep you from admitting that you're wrong, like even when you know you're wrong. It'll cause you to write somebody off and hold a grudge because they offended you and maybe they don't even know that they offended you. It's the thing that causes you to maybe shade the truth when it comes to your past or to talk too much about yourself or to exaggerate your accomplishments. It'll do this. You'll be in a room with somebody and they'll start talking really good about you and it's not entirely true, but you don't stop them because you just kind of enjoy the praise. It's the thing that'll cause you to look better than you really are. It's the thing that'll cause you to act one way around one group of people and another way around another group of people because... Uh, you really care a lot about what others think of you. Any of you know what we're talking about? Yeah, well, we're talking about pride. And pride is our Achilles heel. Now, the thing about pride is that it manifests itself in all of our lives in different ways, but the root of it is the same. And it can so easily take us down and out. Now, here's a couple of things that God says about pride. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 8 or chapter 16, it says pride goes before destruction and haughtiness, which is just another word for arrogance, before a fall. So before something um, is destroyed, before something falls, what you'll find is pride. God has something much stronger to say about it in chapter 8. He says, I hate pride and arrogance. So it turns out God hates something after all. It's just not what the obnoxious guy on the street corner with the megaphone told us that he hated. See, listen, God doesn't hate anyone. But listen, he hates the pride that is in everyone. And it's in all of us. And it is sneaky and it is sinister. And we oftentimes, and I'm speaking from personal experience here, we oftentimes don't recognize it as pride. But God hates it. Now, I don't know, maybe when you hear that, maybe when you read that verse and you hear that phrase and you, it might surprise you a little bit. You're like, man, out of all the things that God could hate, like pride, really? Seems a little overstated. Like I can understand God hating things like lying and murder and abuse and racism. I mean, those are really bad things. We can all agree God should hate those. But pride, really? Like what's... What's wrong with pride? Here's the thing about pride. Oftentimes is that when we, you were growing up, do you ever like know the, the cocky kid on the playground or the, or the team? And you just sort of like, it was annoying, but you didn't necessarily see it as a sin or a character flaw. But God's word says that he hates pride in our lives. Why? If you look at any marriage that doesn't make it, you trace back to the root of it and what you'll find, and there could be a variety of issues going on. But at the root of those issues, you'll find pride. When you look at friendships that, that end in, in part ways, in really destructive ways, if you trace it back far enough, you'll find that there was 
pride there. Pride actually uh, holds us back from having an accurate understanding of who we really are, whether you think too highly of yourself or you think too lowly of yourself. And it'll actually block you from living out God's purposes and plans for your life. Pride will keep you from um, asking for help when you really need it. Pride will keep you from acknowledging God in your life. In fact, if there's anybody here or anybody listening to this and like you generally believe in God, but you've not necessarily taken the step of faith to follow after Jesus, and you've just sort of like been straddling the fence for a long time, can I just very lovingly say, like, that's pride? Like, pride will keep you from God. And it is our Achilles heel. And if we don't get a handle on it, if we don't call it for what it is, sooner or later, it'll ultimately bring us down. Now, at this point, you might have a, a couple of questions. And one of the questions, what I already alluded to, is you might be sitting there going, well, you know, really, kind of what's wrong with pride? And maybe uh, you have even thought that pride was a good thing. You know, because you've equated pride with self-confidence. And listen, those are not the same. And maybe some of you are like, well, why shouldn't I believe in myself? If I don't believe in myself, then who else will? And um, this is where I think a definition uh, might be really helpful for us. Is that pride is uh, having, uh, and I think we all know this first part, it's having an excessively high opinion. Uh, that's somebody who's uh, arrogant. They think too much of themselves. Or a preoccupation with your own importance, achievement, status, or position. Now that can go the other way. What this can look like, a preoccupation with, with self, is that this can actually look like humility. This can actually be one of those things where you're not really honest about your gifts and abilities and what it is that you can... This, this is um, our insecurities. And insecurities are still rooted in a preoccupation with self. Now here's a question that I have for you. Do any of you know this person? <laughs> do any of you work for this person? Um, do any of you pay rent to this person? Any of you related by marriage to this person? Right? Yeah, sure. Like we all know this person. In fact, here's the thing about a message or a message series on pride is that you've probably already done it. You're like, oh, we're talking about pride in this series. I know who I'm sending this series to. I hope such and such is here because they really need to hear this. Like I'm going to share this later on today. We all know this person, but here's the more penetrating question. <laughs> are you this person? And unless you're, you are really self-aware and brutally honest, chances are probably not too many hands are going up on that one. Because see, here's the thing about pride is that we can easily spot it in others, but we oftentimes very rarely see it in ourselves. The reason why is because pride is, it, it's blinding. There's this little verse in the Old Testament book of Obadiah that says this. It says, you have been deceived by your own pride. Pride can be deceptive. In other words, what keeps you and me from seeing the pride in our lives is the pride in our lives. And if you say, well, I don't I think I have a problem with pride. It's likely pride that's causing you to say that. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in his great book, Mere Christianity, if you've never read it, I, I highly recommend it. But he says this, there is one vice of which no man in the world is free, uh, a vice which everyone in the world loathes when they see it in someone else and of which hardly any people ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. And that is pride. And pride, what it, what it does in our lives is that it, it, makes, it makes me defensive. When, when I'm defensive, that's pride. Like when my wife comes in and says, can you please give the dog a bath? And I say, what's that supposed to mean? I give the dog a bath just as much as anybody else does. Like that's pride. 
Uh, pride makes me stubborn. Pride keeps a spouse from saying that they might have overreacted. Pride keeps a best friend from saying they might have been wrong. Pride keeps a, a coworker from saying it was their fault. Pride keeps a husband from saying, you're right, I think we might be lost. Pride, pride makes me self-conscious. Somebody wants to find vanity as not being able to walk past your reflection without looking at yourself. And so when you see a group picture that gets texted to you and you're in it, you find yourself and you make sure you're looking good. Pride makes me discontent. Makes it really hard for me to celebrate when a friend is building my dream house or driving the car I've always wanted. Pride makes me feel better about my marriage when somebody else is struggling. Pride secretly celebrates when you go back to your high school reunion and you see that cool crowd that always excluded you and now they are overweight and balding and you enjoy it. Pride makes me critical. Pride makes it really difficult for me to have an opinion without thinking that it's the only opinion or sharing it in a way that is, isn't damaging or short-sighted. Pride says, I'm gonna let somebody know that they're not doing things the way I think that they should be done. Pride will alienate a son-in-law because you don't think he's good enough for your daughter. Pride will alienate a daughter-in-law because she doesn't parent your grandkids the way you would want them to. Happens in church all the time. We do it either way we, where we see somebody from a distance and we make a judgment about who we think they are by what they're wearing or not wearing, what they drive or don't drive. It causes us to maybe walk into a worship service and maybe we've got more of the mentality of like a judge on the television show, The Voice, than we do kind of a spirit of worship. And so we kind of walk in kind of critiquing everything. And I don't know much about music. I've never led worship, but I've got plenty of ideas for how to do it better. And pride, <laughs> it's a little too close to home, huh? <laughs> pride leads me to believe that my opinion and my preferences are clearly the most reasonable. Why doesn't everybody else see it this way? Pride makes me argumentative. And so if somebody posts something that I don't like, I'm going to argue with them about it instead of just scrolling on. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10 says, pride only breeds quarrels. So if you see people getting into an argument, the root of that is pride. Pride motivates me to win a disagreement even when I know I'm wrong or they have a good point. Pride makes me self-absorbed. It's just the belief that my tastes and preferences are the, are the right ones. And we find it difficult to keep those to ourselves. Philippians chapter two, which is a passage we'll read at length here in just a bit, says this, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know what pride says to that? Well, how am I gonna get my interests promoted then? Several years ago, I mean, I've got such a, uh, I wrestle with pride and it, 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 it camouflages itself and it comes into my life. And I, I don't know about you, but I can so easily justify it away. Several years ago, I was uh, speaking at a conference and there were five main session speakers and I was one of the five. And after it was all over, they emailed out one of those recap videos. You know the ones where it's like the, all the highlights from the conference, it's like a four or five minute clip. And immediately there is like this little uh, clip from one of the main session speakers, like this really powerful principle or statement that they made. And you want to know where my thought went immediately when I saw that first speaker? I thought, well, I wonder which clip of mine they're going to use in the recap video. And how did they narrow it down? Because I had so many good points. That's what I thought. <laughs> Just being real with you. And so I'm watching the, the video and I'm counting down. Like, okay, that, there's the second speaker. There's the third speaker. There's the fourth. Okay, this, I'm the only one left. And I got to tell you that the video ended <laughs> and I was the only speaker they didn't include in the recap video. And I was so offended. 
And uh, so you want to know what I did? I just like stopped right there and I prayed for God to bless those other speakers and the people. No, I didn't do that. Like I, I, uh, I went home and I complained to my wife about it. I, I actually think the specific term she used was your belly aching. I think that's what she said. And, uh, and so I'm just like, I can't, you know, don't they know how hard I worked on that message? And, you know, I can't believe they cut me out of it. And, you know, see if I ever speak at their stupid conference again, which I never had to worry about that because they never asked me back. And I'll never forget, like, she, she looked at me across the uh, island in our kitchen. Fellas, you know the look. It's like the look of the Holy Spirit. And it's just kind of this, and she's like, and she literally said, like, why does this bother you so much? Like, what's, what's going on? And it really hit me. And I had to stop and think about it. And after a few minutes, I was just like, you know what, honey? Whose side are you on anyway, right? I was just like, I just couldn't let it go. And see, that's the thing about pride is that it's sneaky and it'll creep up on you. And, and very rarely do we think we have a problem with it. We can easily justify the way that we feel. And usually um, when it comes to pride, I know this is true for me, I'm usually the last person in the room to know it. Isn't it true? Like everyone else may see the pride in your life, but, but you don't. And if you want to know if you struggle with pride, here's what you do. I, I don't know if you'll be courageous enough to take me up on this, but you just find two or three people in your life that love you and you trust and you just ask them and buckle up. Just say, do you see any pride in my life? Or, or this, you have permission to lovingly but directly Call pride out in my life because I'll be the last one to see it. And it's actually an act of love. If somebody that really cares for you and knows you well can ha has permission to call out the pride in your life. Because here's the reason why. At the root of almost every single issue you and I struggle with, you just fill in the blank. You trace it back, you'll find some sort of pride. The word um, hubris is a Greek term that describes a person that is so full of themselves that they lose all touch with reality. We'll talk a little bit more about this in the coming weeks, but we could even say that we're so full of ourselves, whether we think too highly of ourselves or too lowly, that there's no room for God to speak. There's no room for God to do work. And instead, what, what God's word tells us to do is to uh, put things in a right-sized perspective. There's another word, humus, which just simply means the soil of the ground. And this is kind of the idea of being made low to the ground. It's what God's word says about us is that from the dust of the earth, we were created from the dust of the earth, we will return. It's this idea that in the grand scheme of things, I'm just going to put things in proper perspective. So there's two things you hold in tension. You are created intentionally by God and there he has a plan and a purpose for your life and your life has an infinite value. There is nobody else like you. And yet at the exact same time, this is a really, really big universe. And there's lots and lots of people on the planet. And this, this life that you live is not a movie and everybody else is the supporting cast and character. You're holding these two things in tension where you recognize how small you are and how valuable you are at the exact same time. And this might lead to another question that you, you might be thinking, at least it crossed my mind as I was talk, thinking about putting this series together and launching it right now. Is you might be thinking, why are we talking about pride now when we're, we've all been through so much this past year? And that's a really good question. 
Because I know that there's a lot of people that are emotionally exhausted. There's a lot of depression. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a, a lot of fear. I mean, we've been through so much over this last year. And you might think, I don't really know that a message series on pride is really at the top of the list of the problems that I really have in my life right now. Because honestly, um, I'm struggling with my own self-worth and insecurity. So why are we talking about pride? And I just want to bring up the fact that pride most of the time isn't so much about you thinking more of yourself than you should. Pride is just thinking too much about yourself. And both of those paths lead to the exact same thing. And what God wants you to do is he, he wants you to stop thinking so much about what others think of you or what you imagine they think of you. And God wants you to stop focusing so much on yourself. And he actually wants you to begin to hear what it is that he has to say to you and about you so that you can add value and make a difference in this world. And so I want to look. What was it? Interesting clap, all right. You're making me insecure, all right. It's just. So I want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 15 because there's a great example of this very thing going down. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we discover a king who appears to be really, really full of himself, that he loses all touch with reality. But he didn't start off that way. He actually started off thinking too lowly of himself. But see, the problem was the same. So what was happening, what's happening in 1 Samuel 15, if you don't know the context, is that the people of God are transitioning from an era of the judges to an era of the kings. And so God's got to appoint a king. And so he uses this guy named Samuel to appoint a talented young man uh, who was about 30 years old at the time, named Saul. And when we meet Saul, he is so insecure and non-assuming that when Samuel tells him, hey, listen, God has chosen you to be king, instead of like receiving that with humility and being sort of like, wow, like I can't believe that God would choose me for this position. Now let me leverage it for the good of others. Instead, here was his response in chapter nine. I think you've made a mistake. I'm from the smallest tribe in Israel and my clan is the least of all the clans. You want to know what that is? That is insecurity and it's false humility. It's not the same thing. God had already said, no, I've chosen you for this. And he's like, no, no, I think you've made a mistake. And in chapter 10, in his inauguration as king, they couldn't even find him. He was like hiding in some baggage. <laughs> And so Saul begins his leadership with this inaccurate view or understanding of himself. And because of that, it's going to lead him to a very, very dark place. And so um, you can actually go back and read the narrative for yourself. But if I could just kind of give you the, the more condensed version of this, as he becomes king, uh, God asks Saul to do something very specific. And Saul disregards what God commanded him to do out of fear for the people and out of like an insecurity that he wouldn't have enough. And so God had said, I, when you go and you attack the Amalekites, I don't want you to leave any of the livestock. And Saul kept some back for himself. And so uh, he kept the sheep and the cattle and the calves and the lambs and everything that was good. And so as a result of this, look at what it says in verse 11. God says, very tragically, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king. 
for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. And Samuel, the guy that had called Saul to this position, was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. And so Samuel is brokenhearted over Saul's pride. And so he goes to confront him about it because that's what good friends do. And it says in verse 12, early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul and someone told him, Saul went to the town of Carmel, not in Indiana, different one, to set up a monument to himself. Now you got to stop right there and go, wow, how did that happen? Like this guy goes from, uh, I think you made a mistake. I'm from the smallest clan hiding in the baggage on inauguration day. So now he's building a monument to himself. And that shows that the root of pride goes whether you think too highly of yourself or think too lowly of yourself. Uh, Erecting a monument in your honor was what pagan kings did to declare their own deity. And Saul has been completely blinded by his own arrogance. So look at what it says in verse 13. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. He's hiding something. And he says, may the Lord bless you. He said, I've carried out the Lord's command. Now, is that true? No, it's not true. Then (laughs) I love Samuel's reply. Then what is all the, this bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle that I hear? Kind of reminds me of a scene from a Monty Python movie. It's just like, he's like, you know, there's nothing to see here. What are you talking about? And, and, And in verse 15, Saul realizes that he's been caught. And so he says, well, it is true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, he admitted. But they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. It's just filled with all these half-truths. He's trying to manage his image. Verse 24, it says, Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I've sinned. I've disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. Now here it is right here. I want you to see this. For I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. That's it. That's the evidence of his insecurity. That's the evidence of his pride. This was his Achilles heel, is that he cared too much what others thought rather than what God said about him. And you know what? Me too. And this is likely evident in your life as well, is that oftentimes we just care too much what other people think or what they say of us rather than who God says that we are. If you want to have a right-sized perspective of your identity, your gifts, the, the worth that you bring to this world, you listen more to what God says about you than what others think about you or what you imagine that they think about you. And so it says in verse 30, Saul pleaded again, I know, I know I've sinned. Like he's caught, like he knows he can't manage his way out of this one. But then he says, but please at least honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel by coming back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. What's he doing here? He's trying to manage his image. He's trying to save some face. He just didn't get it. And if you go on and you finish reading the book of 1 Samuel, we see that this once talented king that God chose for this position, self-destructs to the point that he even dabbles in the occult and he ultimately commits suicide at the end of his life. Now here's the thing. It was his Achilles heel that brought him down. Now here's the thing. My guess is that most of us listening to this right now, when it comes to pride, our problem isn't that we think that we are God's gift to the world. Chances are our problem is that we give in to our insecurities a bit too much. And all I want us to see 
is that those things are rooted to the same thing and it'll ultimately lead to the same place. Listen, having insecurities is normal. We all have them. It's what we do with those insecurities that matter. You see, the antidote to pride, God's word says over and over and over again, is humility. But we've got to have an understanding of what humility is. Humility isn't this sort of like self-deprecation, like, oh, shucks, I'm such a loser. Like that, that's not humility. Humility is understanding very clearly who God says you are and what he has made you to be. James chapter four, verse 10 says this, humble yourselves before the Lord. And listen to this, this is a promise. He says, and he will lift you up. You humble yourself before God, he will lift you up. But when I fall into the trap of wanting to lift myself up, that, that's, when, that's when I can be taking, taken down. And maybe you've heard this uh, phrase before. Um, C.S. Lewis was also the one that said it. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's just thinking of yourself less. And Jesus was the perfect example and demonstration of that. Because Jesus was God in the flesh. Like if anybody had bragging rights, it would have been Jesus. And he did some incredible miracles and he changed people's lives. But you don't see this like, you don't see any insecurity in Jesus. And you also don't see any arrogance in Jesus. He managed that tension well. And he did it because he knew who he was. He's like, God the Father has sent me. And I know why I've come. And he actually leveraged his gifts and strengths for the good of other people. Jesus, you just read this all through the Gospels. He was adding value to people's lives, both in the immediate and in the long term. And so like when Jesus would do this incredible miracle, what you would see was a perfect demonstration of humility. Like one time Jesus healed a blind man by spitting in the dirt and making some mud and smearing it on the guy's eyes. And it's one of my favorite examples because I'm sitting here thinking he didn't have to do that. He could have just healed the guy's eyes. But no, Jesus hawked a loogie in the dirt and made some mud. That's awesome. He's like, he's probably just like, just because I can, right? That, and afterwards, he's, he's like, he's like uh, you know, he's, he's not like self-deprecating, like, oh, you know, anybody could have done that. It was beginner's luck, you know. Jesus didn't do that. He knew exactly who he was and what he had, had done. And that's what he's calling you and me to. That's why you spend daily time in God's word so that you can hear very clearly what God says about you and who you are. Because man, if you've got your ears tuned to everything else, all the noise going on in our world, you'll lose your identity faster than anything. And our ultimate example of humility, our ultimate example of exposing our Achilles heel and making sure that that isn't the thing that takes us down is Jesus himself. And I want to finish by reading this incredible example of Jesus' humility that we are to model in our lives from Philippians 2 verses 1 through 11. Simply says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, having a right-sized understanding of who you are, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. Can we just stop right there for a minute? Can you go back one more screen? I'm sorry to do that to you. 
Imagine if we could live that out, how much different the world would be right now. We're looking not just to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now we can go on, thank you. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, what mindset did he have? Well, it explains it. Who, being in very nature God, he had bragging rights, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. One translation says something to be grasped. No, he just let it go. Rather, he made himself nothing. He didn't think of himself as nothing. He emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the reason why we are still talking about this man 2000 years later is that he was God in the flesh and he laid it down. Jesus, one of my favorite passages, this was like hanging um, above the doorway of the place that I went to college. I, I read it every day when I went to class, is that it said, he has come to serve, not to be served. And you know what? That's the antidote to our Achilles heel as well. It's to take the focus off of ourselves whether you right now think too highly of yourself or chances are most likely because you think too lowly of yourself, it's to get your eyes off of yourself and onto God and recognize, God, who have you created me to be? Who have you called me to be? Who have you said that I am? And now with that understanding, you seek to make a difference in the lives of others. You're a difference maker. And the only way you can make a difference maker is when you have a right-sized understanding of your identity, your value, and your worth. And the only way that you find that is from your heavenly Father. And I wanna encourage you to come back for week two of this because we're gonna unpack a little bit more the three promises that pride makes that it can never deliver as we seek to understand our Achilles heel and prevent it from taking us down. Let's pray together. Father, as we begin to walk through this subject matter, I pray that you would use this content in a powerful way that in all of our lives, mine included, that we would recognize that we needed this maybe more than we realized we needed it. Because we just don't hear this message very much in the society in which we live. We're either encouraged to think too much of ourselves or um, because of the criticism um, uh, or um, of others, we maybe think too lowly of ourselves. And so God, I just pray that we could hear very, very clearly from you as to who you say we are, who we now are in Jesus so that we can be confident, not arrogant. We can be servants but not have a lowly understanding of, of who we are, but we would have a right-sized understanding of who we are and recognize that each and every one of us has a plan and a purpose that you have ordained for us to have to add value to this world and to the lives of others. That's how your kingdom comes. 
as we seek to be your representatives to others. And so, Father, I pray that right now uh, you'd be pleased with our worship as we conclude here today. We ask this in Jesus' name.